Yep. I said it before and I'll say it again. Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around once in a while. You could miss it. Welcome to Roaming Roots, Episode 2. This is your host, Brian Gatens. You may know me from the Dark Zone and Adventure Racing Podcast. In Episode 1, Brent and Abby told us all about their planned trip overseas throughout Europe, Africa, and Asia. Head back to that episode to get caught up on what's happened so far. In this episode, they fill us in on their initial arrival in Portugal, the adventures they've had, and how they're doing their best to enjoy the experience and the culture that they're seeing along the way. We're glad you're here. Sit back and relax and enjoy this episode of Roaming Roots. For those at home, those who are listening on the home front, I'm painting a picture. They appear to be in a bedroom of some sort with a wallpaper, I'm going to call it Neo 1970s with birds of two colors on them. Am I am I right about that, Brett and Abby? Welcome back to Roaming Roots episode two. How's it going so far? Good, good. And actually, those are the same parakeets that we saw out in the park today uh, here in Sevilla, where we arrived earlier this afternoon. So when we last left off with our our, our viewers at home, you were on the cusp of uh, your trip. We were, uh, you were T minus, I think we said it was like 17 or so hours, right? You uh, found some extra time in your, in your planning there. And we were talking backpacks and I noted that everybody had a backpack and final weights were submitted. Uh, I'll have to add those into the show notes for how much the weights actually the backpacks weighed when you started, but now you're there. Boom. Trip started. You're down the road. You're on the other side of the ocean. How's it going so far? Overall, it's going great. You know, it's been, um, you know, I think uh, uh, a bit of a, I don't really, disjointed perhaps start to the trip. And I, I mean that in a positive way, just in that, you know, we flew over and had the, you know, route adjustment to time changes with the kids, which went okay overall. But, um, you know, there were a couple of bumpy moments. And then I think really started to settle into more of a groove as a, a family of four traveling abroad, figuring out how we're, we're kind of going about our days and how we're eating and, you know, moving between places. And then Abby's parents and sister arrived and met us in Lisbon. Uh, and things have been great. Um, uh, but it's definitely been a bit of a strange puzzle to put those pieces together and just get into one rhythm and then have to fall out of it into a totally different one and, and discover a new rhythm, which we will trade in and finish days or so and try to get back to our original, I think our yeah, after a week of kind of figuring out sustainable living, we enter vacation mode um, and all that comes with that. So we're bouncing a little bit. And for those at home, we'll just refresh everyone's memories. Philadelphia into Portugal, into Lisbon, right? Lisbon for a while. Lisbon with the family or alone? So we started in Porto. Porto. Um, which is north of Lisbon. And then went to the mountains for a couple of days in this incredible little town called Losa and then came down to Lisbon. So we we did the first two by ourselves and then got to Lisbon just a night before my family arrived. Was is Porto as pretty as they say it was? I really liked Porto. Um, we've been to Lisbon. I really enjoy Lisbon. Lisbon has a much more um, forested feel. I felt like Porto felt more lived in. Um, 
which I personally appreciated. And especially as a place that was new to me and to us, um, it was fun to, to, to be there and kind of be a part of the daily life. What was your lodging in, in Porto? Yeah, we did uh, two different things. We the very we we originally were going to only spend a night in Porto and then head north for about a week. Uh, the original plan was to meet Abby's family back in Porto, so we were going to just kind of pop in, sleep for a night after you know being on the plane, catch up from a bit of jet lag, and then come back and and spend time in the city with them. But then they changed their plans a little bit and decided to streamline the trip um, that they had planned. So at that point, we tried to pivot. So the problem was I had booked one room at a very, very stereotypical kind of dark and damp and dingy European <laughs> hotel, which was perfectly suitable to sleep and, and catch up a bit. Um, and then when it came time to book a couple more nights, uh, that uh, wonderful accommodation had doubled or tripled their prices, which actually turned out to be a savings grace, uh, you know, savings grace as we ended up in a hostel in a, you know, a private studio room in a more traditional hostel. And, and that was actually really, really, really wonderful. So, oh. so, so the, the, the town of Porto and by the way, you're going to be all over the world. So I want to apologize in advance to all the chambers of commerce and all the business organizations, yeah. my pronunciation of where they are. I'm doing the best I can here. Um, in, in Porto, uh, in, in a scale of one to 10, one being true blue, um, local experience, 10 super duper touristy, like Disney World and like Applebee's on the corner, where would you rank that city? You know, as Europe cities go you've got to keep in mind like there's there isn't a european city on the planet that's not geared toward um tourism and to some degree um so with that in mind I, i'd probably give porto a you know a three or a four as abby said it it definitely felt more lived in it felt more local um you know we definitely saw tourists but also um got away from them very easily did we not feel overwhelmed mm -hmm far fewer English speakers in Porto than in Lisbon. So some of the, the tourists there may have been from other European cities, whereas in Lisbon, there were just a ton of Americans around. And look, we're Americans too. Um, but I think that is kind of um, emblematic of a bigger tourism infrastructure. You know, it's a city that kind of straddles the, you know, and, and to your point earlier, forgive us for pronunciation, the River Douro or Douro. Um, you know, and so it, it kind of straddles the river. And I think technically Porto is on the, oh, I'm trying to picture a map, um, the north side of the river, I guess. Um, but it's, yeah, just kind of the steep, very steep, sometimes cliff-like mountain banks. And the town just kind of tumbles down the cliffs and mountainsides to the river. And, you know, the river runs out to the sea, literally. You know, we walked out. Uh, I think on our first full day, we decided to take the kids out and toughen them up by walking through a rainstorm for something like 10 miles out to the ocean. And it was such a spectacular day. You know, we all, you know, were geared up for rain and um, just got to explore the coast. And the kids looked for sea glass and we talked about like the history of it and we played games on the beach. And it was really like a, just a lovely, lovely day.
Yeah, I'm looking at so, think, so folks listening at home. I, I definitely recommend to do the uh, listen to the podcast and follow along with Google Maps because Porto is just what an amazing city. It's the north side of the river, by the way, and it's the River Douro. Um, and there are these massive single art structures that that cover that go over the river that connect the two parts of the city. Um, something it looks yeah. like something out of a fairy tale. Oh my goodness, what a beautiful place! Yeah, no, it really was, and you know, on the on the Porto side of the river. Kind of some of those lower neighborhoods are just these spectacular, very steep, narrow, you know, vehicle-free alleyways, right? Kind of like these old medieval parts of the town that are pretty well preserved with the cobblestones. And it, it is a pretty magical, you know, city as, I mean, as you're, I mean, as all cities go, but like this was a pretty special one, I thought. A little yeah. bit slick in the rain, as Zoe figured out about 10 minutes in, oh, no. walking down it. <laughs> she got out from under her, landing flat on her back. Oh, no. Oh, no. Okay. That happens. That happens. Hello, Zoe. We know you're out there. Uh, and for the record, there eventually there will be a Zoe-based uh, episode of this Roman Roots, by the way, just so you know. That Zoe oh, she's I, counting on it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 I cannot wait to talk to Zoe. It's going to be a fantastic uh, conversation. So, you know, I, I did see on social media that you did have a, at one point you had an orienteering map in your hand and you did a, a, a visit around one of the cities that you were in. Was the orienteering map in Porto or was that, some, was that another town? So it was Lisbon. Okay. And um, back, I think in 2019, I think 2019, you know, we had, um, you know, Simon was like less than a year old um, and we were in Italy and I had printed out a couple of orienteering maps for fun and um, went out one night in Rome, kind of downtown Rome and ran around Rome at probably nine or 10 at night. And it was like one of the absolute greatest hours of my life. You know, actually, by way of origin story, it dates back a year before uh, when we stayed at the house of two adventuring friends in Annecy, France, uh, Pete Cameron and Leanne Mueller. And they left out orienteering maps for us. They weren't home. They were back in Canada visiting family, but they left maps out for us. And we were both like, oh, what a great way to explore the town. So then when we started traveling, Brent started looking for maps online. So yeah. do you think that's so a I, byproduct yeah. of just like the fact that the Europeans are so good with orienteering that these, because I just did a Google search for Sevilla orienteering maps and it's like, there, yeah, there they exist. Yeah. Yeah. And some are, you know, like Rome, I think I remember printing out three, four or five maps that I was able to find. And I think I only did one of them, but it was such an amazing way to see a city, right. You know, like such a really fun, unique way to do it. And, you know, you're not in an event, so you can take your time and stop and, you know, honor the fact that you just ran by the Coliseum on an orienteering event, literally. Um, it was just amazing. And, you know, I did it again in a little village called Matera. And uh, we found a map for Lisbon. And when Abby's family arrived, we handed off the kids for 45 minutes and ran around with the map. And it was amazing. Kind of quite literally. I think the kids were so excited to see them and they were, you know, ready for a nap. And right. so... Yeah, I'm just, uh, I just, I think that's a great, it's, you know, once again, too, it's maps and adventure racing and cartography and all of that. And the idea that like folks who are listening at home has picked up along the way, if you're not necessarily into orienteering and not into it, if, you, if you're still into, if you're in a major city in Europe and you do a Google search, it's a really good shot that you're going to get a map that's going to look a lot like something. You can figure out where you are on that map and then visit all those different places and make an adventure out of what you're doing. Um, I just think that's just, it's a great thing that that's just... 
It's a great way to sort of bring those two things together, the tourism, the travel and the orienteering experience and marry it together. So so how did you I don't, I don't want to perseverate on Porto, but it's a beautiful place. How did you pick that as a destination? You know, it really started because my parents expressed interest in beginning the trip with us. And we were thinking about places to travel that would be kind of accessible and meet the needs of everybody and also fit in our route of travel. And we both liked the idea of starting in Port Oak because we hadn't been there. Um, and my parents and sister liked that um, as a starting point. And then we just realized that their trip was too ambitious. So we had already booked our tickets, so we decided to stick with it. Um, but it was really a byproduct of the people that were coming and the and the broader route than than anything else. So it's about 780 kilometers from, from Porto to Lisbon to Sevilla. What has been your mode of travel? Are we car? Are we back in trains? What are we doing? So from Porto to Lisbon, most people would just jump on a train. Uh, there's a direct train between the two. And we basically took that train, but about halfway through in a, a small town called Quimbra, it's actually not that small. I think it's one of the bigger towns in Portugal. It's a university town. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but in Quimbra, we jumped off the train and got on a local bus system and bussed out to a, a relatively small town called um, Losha, L-O-U-S-A, and um, stayed in a small apartment there for a couple of nights so that we could uh, get a taste for the famous Schist villages, which were just absolutely sensationally beautifully magical just i couldn't use for some more adjectives i was gonna say like i i couldn't i could yeah i i'm tired my brain's not working clearly right now um but Would oh you my call, god you this call them sh- shift villages shift, shift. Like, like the rock like yeah right. um yeah um and there's this, there's this big, uh, it's, it's this entire region. And um, there's, I think, 27, 28, 29 of these villages um, that range from, you know, several hundred inhabitants. And uh, they're all connected with this pretty spectacular network of trails, uh, which on a map look like a nice trail system and in person are just amazing. You know, there's, they're, the trails themselves are pretty spectacular in terms of the architecture of them. Um, and uh, we hiked on these stretches running along active aqueducts, hugging mountainsides and, you know, these kind of sheltered waterfalls and creeks. And there's ruins probably every, probably every 500 meters that we hiked um, for this one day hike, there were ruins from, you know, older schist settlements and just really a pretty special and unique place. Do, do you get the feeling when you're there that like one byproduct of living on the East coast of America is that we've really, whether we, whether it's true or not, we feel like we've really pushed nature back. Like we've, we've cleared enough land and we, we've taken over what's around here. And there's other parts of the world that I experienced this down in West Virginia back in the 1990s where it felt like we had carved out of nature, a place to survive, right? We were still surrounded by nature and we, we did all of that. Is that sort of the, the the feeling that you're getting in the parts of the of Portugal that you are in that that like that um, settlements, towns, people, they had to live alongside this incredible terrain and they had to like kind of survive for themselves in this area. They really had to mold themselves to the terrain as opposed to subjugating the terrain. Am I reading that right? Is that the, am I am I feeling that right from here? 
I mean, I think I literally, I don't, Abby, you might remember, I think sometime last week, I, I made a vague a comment, vaguely similar to that, where I was just remarking on how um, our towns and cities just feel so naturally sterile, right? You know, they're built in these generally nondescript locations. And I know there are exceptions. Porto is built along these cliffs over this river. And every turn you take where you can see the river, those cliffs, you're just kind of blown away that there's a big city where this this natural resources, you don't see that in the United States. And, you know, Losha itself, the town, um, you know, was not necessarily in a spectacular location, but literally a kilometer walk outside of town, you're in this gorge, you know, we found ourselves at the end of our trip coming back into Losha in the evening, um, thinking we're just going to walk down this trail along a stream and having to navigate a gorge to get back into town. So, so, and so, by navigate, like, so that was quite the story. So let's, let's give that story in total. So, so you and the kids, and for those joining us for episode two, if you haven't listened to episode one yet, uh, Simon and Zoe are, are the, are their children. Uh, Zoe is just give me her age again. She's nine and a half. And Simon is. Is four and a half. Very nice. And so the four of you are, are, are moving around Losha and it got a little adventure for the four of you. Tell us about that. Yeah, so it's funny. We had been having this conversation throughout the day. There were these trail markers all along the route um, that that designated the trail that we were on. They were kind of an an equal sign, one one red and one yellow. And we were noticing that there were crosses, um, like an X, one red and one yellow, at other points on the trail. And I had read those as the trail doesn't go this way. And Brent had read those as intersections. And so we were having this debate (laughs) the entire time. And we leave our last destination before we were heading back. It was a castle. Um, And we thought we would have, you know, a few kilometers left. We were kind of pushing daylight at that point. And we we head on this trail and I see one of these X's and I was like, I don't think this is right. Um, And the trail was kind of unimproved and... Yeah. So 50 meters. And then we hit the the main trail again. And we were like, okay, well, maybe that was a little, you know, cut through something. No big deal. We're back on the trail. We continue down and we're just dropping down this incredibly steep embankment. Um, We get to the bottom and we find a rushing river, Um, you know, not class five white water, but like very swift water, you know, on me ranging from kind of shin deep to to, to waist deep, maybe deeper, um, lots of rocks, lots of entrapments and the trail ends. And we're like, oh, okay, <laughs> well, we'll, we're here. we'll cross. And we see one of these equal signs, right? We see the trail marker on the other side. So we're like, okay, we'll figure this out. And then the trail work will continue. So. And that first crossing was perfectly reasonable. You know, I think that first one was shin deep, right? <laughs> right. Um, and you can see right on the other side, there's the trail and it looks fine. So you're like, oh, okay, it crosses the creek. We'll be okay. No big deal. So Brent has Simon on his shoulders and I'm kind of guiding Zoe, embracing her. Um, and we make it across. Everything's fine. We go back down the trail, 20 meters, and there's another crossing. And this continues for, I don't know, 500 meters. I think it was further. Yeah, probably about a kilometer. Yeah. yeah. And, so it was trail, water, cross. trail, water. Right. And, and, and some of them are are this like shin deep, but others like I get up to my, 
you know, nearing my waist and Zoe's 10 inches shorter than me. Um, so I'm like trying to like leverage her onto higher ground and there's slippery rocks and there's, and she, you know, she gets a little wide eyed, but, but she manages every single right, crossing. Right. As, long Simon as, is as long like, as mom is brave, I'm good. Right. I think the, the kids are looking up at their fan or the parents, you're sending the signal to your kids about how they should be reacting. And we're sending the signals to each other too. We're both kind of like, like, spidey sense you know talking to each other okay we got this just stay calm everything will be okay but like it's getting on sunset and there's no end in sight and you're and wet some of them and we're wet and it's like 40 degrees and you know <laughs> the, Simon, water, the, the water's cold we have no headlamps and you can't go back right like at a certain point you're looking at it calculating the numbers and you're like Going back is not really much of an option. And I can tell on the map that we're not very far away from what I believe will be the end of this, right? <laughs> um, and then we start running into things like down trees, <laughs> both on the trail that you had to crawl through, but then also over stretches of the creek where the trail was trying to cross the creek. So that made for some additional adventures, to say the least. So, yeah, Simon is on Brent's shoulder, like whooping and hollering, loving every second, totally dry. Um, <laughs> just like wanting to go back in the water, look at it from afar or from up high. Finally, we get to the last crossing. This one is is kind of particularly harrowing because we had to go around a, a, a bunch of deadfall. And then we pop out and we see this sign and the sign reads caution, essentially only go on this creek if the weather condition, if the water conditions allow. Right, right. So the water was up. Right. And we're assuming that the exact same sign was there at the start of the trail that we cut in those 50 meters with the X, you know, X trail designation. So the 50 meters in the trail. And then you were just then you were just it was just that then it was you you saw the sign on the other side. You think you missed yeah. the sign on the first side and then everything worked out just fine. You made it back in one piece. Yeah. You know, and, you know, we looked it up afterwards and there's pictures of people crossing it in the summertime, you know, either by just walking across rocks or maybe getting like half of their shoe wet. Um, and, you know, here we are in the winter trying to avoid pools that I'm pretty sure we could have gone swimming in. Clearly Lausha adventuring, right? That's what you do, right? This is, and this is, this is not a bug. It's a feature. Right. You, you, as a yeah. family, it is a, this is what you do. You, 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 you cross water and you do these, these adventures, you find these things. So no, not always intentionally. No, no. Well, 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 <laughs> the intentional adventures usually are the ones that are the least amount of fun. It's the unintentional adventures where things kind of pop up and then you figure it out on the other side. Those are fun as well and challenging and all that sort of stuff. And, and I always like just to come back to the idea that the, the kids were watching mom and dad and mom and dad were moving forward like troopers and therefore the kids felt the same way. Right. I uh, hope so. Yeah. Yeah. For those, for, <laughs> they for loved those, it. But after the fact, they were thrilled and we celebrated with fun. telling stories and type two. Yeah. type two fun. Not fun when you're doing it, fun when you're talking about it when it's over. So, Lausha, you sort of schist, right? It's just, I'm glad I knew a new phrase to me today. Lausha, back on the bus, back on the train. How'd you get down to Lisbon? Yep. Back on the bus. Yep. That's right. Okay. Yep, bus back to Quimbra and then back on the train to Lisbon. How are you finding the buses? Are you finding the buses? Uh, if we're talking to folks who live in the the uh, in America transit system, are they Greyhound buses? Are they coach buses? Are they comfy? Are they Metro buses? Like, like how easy is it to move with a family of four on these buses? Yeah, it's been, I mean, it's been easy. It's, I mean, I think here at least it's going to feel really comparable. Of course, the train system's marvelous. Right. You know, I think we just, we, we're really, um, 
deprived in the United States from good public transportation. But those people that ride buses, it's probably equivalent to what you'd expect from like a long haul bus. Um, you know, I think that the hardest is, I don't even know if it's been hard, but you know, the challenging part really thus far has been our trips from lodging to transportation or transportation to lodging, just because we're hauling a lot of gear. And how's that um, going, by the way, how's the weight going? I, I know the final, the pack weights, and I started off by talking about them. You're not carrying, you're carrying a lot of gear with you. And we I'm going to make an assumption that your gears are going to get heavier as a trip goes on. Cause you're going to, you're going to accumulate things along the way and you might need to mail some stuff home. Like how's the, how logistically how's that? I mean, the trip is beautiful, right? Porto to Laos and Lisbon and Sevilla, but like, how are you doing as a unit moving as a group? What, what, what lessons have you taken out of that? Yeah. So move, moving as a group has definitely been one of probably the two or three biggest challenges of the trip so far. Um, you know, the physicality of it really for me and Abby, um, Zoe has been an absolute trooper, you know, carrying her own pack plus probably a little bit of gear here or there. Um, Simon has both carried his own pack for some of those trips and not on others. Um, but you know, it's kind of the, the excess. So like our packs are big, they're heavy. And then we have a little bit of excess gear, mostly because of our work, you know, because of laptops and things like that. And uh, in a way, those extra bags have been the hardest because um, they, they've they made it sometimes difficult to just physically move anatomically correctly. Um, I think my pack in particular, I've been taking a bit of a beating. Um, so in Lisbon, we kind of stripped some things down and we created that packing list just for you that now lives on our website. I don't know if you've had a chance to look at it, but we actually you know took that as an opportunity to kind of think once again about everything we're carrying. And, you know, we cut out actually more bulk than weight, but um, enough bulk that I think it, it really made a difference today. We moved to Sevilla today and didn't have to carry anything for a long distance, but I think it's going to make a difference moving forward. What's We've it? also dealt with some circumstantial variables, like our first transport we discovered the day before we were leaving Porto that the, the, the day of our transport was a national holiday. Um, yeah. So we didn't know if stores would be open when we got to this small mountain village. So we we bought a day's worth of food and then had to transport that. So we actually threw all of that in Simon's pack, which weighed down his pack. So we carried that and then tried to move his gear around to our packs. And so some of that was just stuff that we didn't really account for when we were thinking about pack weight. Got it. Got it. Got it. And the, and the, are you finding now, and it's, <laughs> Do you think the current travel and tone, the distances you're going on a regular basis, the 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 trekking you're doing, that do you think this is typical for the trip in terms of how much how many times you have to load your gear up and move, or versus like the gear you're going to change? Like, like you're going to get stronger during the trip, right? That's what always happens, right? This is now seven months, and so so you're and you're you're fit already as it is through the adventure racing, and the kids are going to get stronger. But is this the typical life you expect to have in terms of the travel and the weight, or do you expect it like to go up and to go down during the course of the trip? So. My expectation is that travel in Europe is going to be easier than travel most other places we are just because of the infrastructure, because of the transit system. So I'm expecting that the travel itself and the the, the moving, the hauling between modes of transportation will get harder and we'll also get better at it. Got it. Got it. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting and, to because you're, you're, you're veteran travelers, but you're with you're traveling with children and you're traveling. This is, a, is this your longest trip ever? Seven months? It's mine. Mine. Okay. Uh, not not really mine. I 
I, I spent a year, an entire year abroad, really after high school. Okay. Um, I technically came home for brief windows of time in between. Basically, the trip was divided into thirds. And I think I ended up back home for roughly a week, maybe between each of the thirds. But it was was basically overseas for something like 15 to 17 gotcha. months. Something like gotcha. That. I've either picked up a cold or I'm allergic to to the air quality of Lisbon. Well, well let me ask you a, a bit about that, right? Um, wear and tear on the body. Right, the time zones and the planes and the air and the and the buses and you're around a, a brand new set of people. You're in a brand new geographic area, right? And so you're you're used to Eastern U.S. and all that. How are you holding up physically? Like you mentioned, a bit of a cold right now. Are the kids getting a bit of a cough? Like is there, or is everything sort of just holding itself together? Yeah, so far that part has been okay. I think actually one of the biggest challenges that we have faced this past week is. Um, we've just been in a weird rhythm kind of schedule wise, um, trying to kind of corral seven people with my parents yeah. and sister here. Um, and, you know, a good problem to have, but we've ended up like not leaving the house till 11 o'clock, not eating lunch till three, eating dinner late. Like it's a really wacky rhythm, certainly for the kids, but even for us. Um, so trying to adapt to that, knowing that we are going to be adapting again shortly. And I think that has thrown everybody off a little bit. But in terms of health, I think everybody's pretty solid. It raises a good, a good question. I, did, I should have brought up before. You're, you're four people, four circadian rhythms. So is there any discrepancy amongst you? Like, is, is one of you an early riser, one a late sleeper? Because now you have to kind of, everyone has to sort of agree to follow someone with the same schedule. Has that been, how has that worked out so far? I mean, I think it's probably helpful that you know, we're two teachers and two mm-hmm. kids who go to school. So we're all kind of in the same ballpark, just out of necessity. Um, you know, so I, I think naturally, sure, there are some differences, but I think uh, it's actually been kind of um, strange. We've all been sleeping later than we normally do. And some of that probably is just chalked up to adjusting to jet lag. Uh, but I think that lasted longer than we anticipated. Um Kids are relatively good at letting us sleep in a little bit in mm-hmm. the mornings, which they've been doing for a long time. Um, so they they probably get up a little earlier than we do at the end of the day. Still later than at home. Yeah. How are they doing with the uh, with the lack of regularity? With the lack of with the with the amount of movement and the, the I mean it's it's tough enough to travel with the child as it is to to a country that's not your home country. Time zones, food, like what has their experience been like thus far? I, I think again that the disjointed, the good disjointed of the last couple of weeks has made it hard to assess. I think, I, I think we really did feel like we were kind of getting into a, a a rhythm after only six days or so, which was maybe a bit surprising to us. And then um, we've just been out of it, and yeah. you know the days have been just each day has been different. Um, Simon in particular is really squirrely, I think as a result. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of time just kind of laying around the apartment in the mornings. And um, there's frankly too much, this is our fault as parents, right? Like there's been a little bit too much reliance on kind of screens and such to keep them happy as and the family. Quiet while other people are sleeping. And- right. Yeah, as the family negotiates their own rhythms and, um, yeah, so I think it'll get better once we uh, once we move on um, and get back to traveling as a foursome. I think there's definitely going to be a, a 
of all that's going to come out of this trip as i think about the the after the trip and and the public speaking about if you choose to do it and things like that i think there's an entire idea there about parenting and navigating typical parenting challenges but in these really unique environments and what but what's the overall message for other parents as they as they live with their kids in more typical settings what you took out of all of this um so yeah and i've been having some of those thoughts just in terms of how we live our lives ourselves, you know, like the idea of only carrying essential gear. Well, how is that something we can translate back to our house right. at home, which which always to me feels over cluttered? Well, um, how stuff, can we think right? about we're, we're, opportunities we're, for learning? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think there's a there's a there's a, an article to be written or a book to be written called 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 stuff junkies. The fact that we're that somehow we've we've enculturated the idea that the we 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 pick things up along the way, and all of a sudden we look up and we're connected to all these things and. We're emotionally connected to it. We're socially connected to it. But then what you've done is by collapsing your life down to four backpacks and collapsing and, and basically getting on the road, you've really kind of cut that cord to stuff. And everything, everything you do comes in an exchange, right? If we're going to carry this thing, this has a cost. Like, like right now, as we look around our houses, none of this is, it's costing me nothing to have this here with the exception of paying my mortgage or my rent, right? That's the cost to this. I'm not carrying this stuff around every single day. You're carrying, right. you're literally carrying the stuff around every single day. And yeah, where do you keep that? That's, yeah. to me, that's, a, yeah. that's a big thing. Yeah. And we, you know, we spent a lot of time building our original packing list, which is more or less what you see on the website now. Right. Um, you know, and going through it again this past week, you know, I actually think we feel really good about what we packed and why we packed things. And we are definitely removing some things and sending them home with Abby's family but not because we feel like we wouldn't use them. And, and and like, there's a really intentional choice with some items to say like, let's just let these go um, to have a little bit more flexibility. It's again, we're not saving ourselves massive amounts of weight where we're really just creating more space so we can more easily shift things around in our big packs um, to make the difference there. I wanted to, you know, your, your question about rhythms and such, like it's a bit different, but um, we've been talking a lot over those first six days about the kids and how they're interacting with each other. And, um, you know, it's not really so much about daily rhythms, but, um, you know, a nine and a four year old who are on really good, relatively good terms together as siblings go um, in their normal lives, um, you know, but there's still quite a big gap there. Um, and it's still been remarkable just over the course of six days, um, watching them start to interact with each other differently than they really have before. Um, and there's like a kind of a depth and, um, you know, a profoundness to the relationship that's already kind of evolving that uh, I'm sure it was there in some facet, but not one that was particularly visible. And, you know, they're clearly gravitating towards each other as not just siblings, but best friends and playmates and um, confidants and distractions. And it's been amazing to see that in really just a week of travel. Uh, I think a bit on pause right now, but I, I think it'll be exciting to watch that continue to develop when we get back to just being the four of us. Well, it's probably it, the best part of the trip so far. And and it, there's even more of that coming in a more intense setting with it when the four of you are alone. And and right now you're in, you know, you're in, you're in Spain now and you've been in, and so you've been in relatively, you're, you're in the West right now, right? You're in the Western world. And so, so any sense of isolation you're feeling as a family, while it exists because the language barrier and the cultural barriers and the food and the, and the money, everything is different. 
as you move further east and eventually you're going to find yourself in Asia, you're really going to be a unit. There'll be a unit of two and you'll be a unit of four. And while it's good to find yourself inside, you know, and, you know, all things don't come back to adventure racing, but we know they do, that you that you work inside of a team, but you still have to have some some individual time, right? You, there, there's as part of your psyche, part of who you are. Are you are you I'm using the word preoccupied. It's not the right word to use. But for the sake of the question, when you use preoccupied, are you so preoccupied with the unit of the four and the two of them and the two of you and then your relationship? Have you given any thought about the idea about the individuals in the group and how they're going to recharge and how are they going to build that into their individual lives so that they can bring their better selves back to the group? We've given a lot of thought to it. Um, We haven't yet created a lot of space for it. Um, And I think some of that, again, is because the rhythms have shifted so much just over the first two weeks and we're now accountable to a unit of seven in addition to the unit of two and the unit of four. Um, In some ways, we've talked more about the individual recharge time than had any appreciation for us as a unit of two. Um, And that's something we realized the first week, not in any romantic way, but just in a partnership way. Like we spend a lot of time during the day kind of in our regular lives, like checking in with each other, chatting on the phone, that kind of thing. And we're doing very little of that, even as we're negotiating the world together. And then in the evenings, when the kids go to sleep, we're both working. Um, So there's been far less kind of interpersonal connection between us than I think either of us had thought about before the trip and we've named it a couple times and just kind of said, it'll be interesting to see what space this takes up over the coming months. And so far it's fine. Um, but I think it's something we've both been aware of. Yeah. And in many ways, the, the, the trip hasn't even really started yet. The trip has started, but there's, there's a lot more that's coming down the yeah. path for you. Right. Totally. No, yeah. and like, you know, the timing of, of this interlude here is is maybe not perfectly placed. You know, we're actually, we're getting break from our six days of unit of four. Right. Uh, we are both getting a break as individuals and as, um, you know, a couple in terms of being able to have some time where the kids are in a different room with a different adult and we can just like actually talk to each other and see how things are going. Right. Um, and, uh, it's been great to have this break and then you stop and realize, but the trips really hasn't even started yet. No, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) I have this, this funny image in my head of sometime down the road, the way the world works is that someone that you know, love and trust, whoever they could be, right. They could, they could hook up with you somewhere. So, Oh, we're now in, we're in, Tokyo, we're in Nepal, whatever it is. And because you trust them, like, hey, it's great to see you, by the way. Um, Zoe Simon, you go play with Uncle Whoever and whoever. We'll be back. And the two of you are like, you're out the door, right? Yeah. You know, the, the yeah. running joke was that uh, that uh, some parents say that they would have left their kids with Hell's Angels at one point. Like anybody, like, yeah. just, just take care of me. You can keep them alive. You're going to feed them. Yeah. You're sold. And then poof, you're out yeah. the door just to get some of that yeah. alone time. And I think that that's an interesting thing. Yeah, one yeah. of the places we have booked in Morocco, Brent said to me, he's like, you know, the website says they offer babysitting. Exactly. Um, we looked at each other. We're like, well, let's feel that one out. <laughs> exactly. That's going to be the uh, the old parental uh, radar when you get there. Like, uh. But as the trip goes yeah. on, that barometer is going to change. A variety of people are going to come to this podcast along the way. And some initially might think that, oh, they're just on vacation. What 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 is your, what are your thoughts on that? Is that, true not true are there shades of is it accurate inaccurate like what's the how does that kind of fall when i say that to you what's your response 
I mean, I think the truth of it is an absolutely profound recognition that what we are doing stems from being incredibly privileged to be able to do what we're doing. And so from that perspective, absolutely, right? right? Like we are out in the world, we are taking in sites and museums and making up amazing day hikes on all trails in beautiful places that most people have never heard of. Um, you'd never heard of schist before. I mean, it's, it's pretty spectacular. And, you know, like we're, we're, we're definitely being very mindful about what we're spending and how we're spending it and where we're spending it. But like, are there going to be some splurges along the way that are like for a lot of people, uh, maybe not even once in a lifetime dream. Yeah. That we're going to do that as well. So yeah. Like, let's be honest about that part of it. However, um, you know, it is, um, the phrase of herding cats, right. You know, keeping our children alive and engaged in a meaningful way without relying too much, uh, and sometimes at all on technology, trying to figure out how to keep them engaged in a way that also is furthering their learning and education. Um, And then as Abby alluded to, especially when we are in shared rooms where all four of us are sleeping in the same space, getting them to bed. And then like sometimes literally crawling under a bed to be able to work on a laptop for two or three extra hours to wake up to do it all again and then realize three days later that you haven't had an adult conversation with your partner. I don't know that that's really most people's dream vacation. Abby, what do you think? No, I I think Brent hit the nail on the head. Like we are in an extraordinarily lucky and privileged position to be able to even think about taking this, this time. Um, But I think we're also looking at it as a way to reframe what living means and what being at home means and having a home and kind of finding roots in a space. And I I say that a little bit tongue in cheek, recognizing that we've, we've coined the name for the trip roaming roots, but I think that's also true. And like, wanting to give our kids a sense of finding space in the world and being comfortable in the world in many different circumstances, but also for ourselves, right? Like we are very much mired in our day-to-day of urban living and, you know, working jobs that have us chained to our computers and all of those things. And so finding, finding ways to just disrupt that a little bit, knowing that we are returning and how can we do that with a sense of intention. I also wonder too, and, and clearly you use the word intentionality in the sense of thinking about it. Um, there's this uh, in in the in the world of travel and and Instagram and influencers and all that sort of travel stuff. There's the the trap where travelers objectify and they treat the place where they are as some sort of sideshow act, right? How are you being intentional and thoughtful about your role and what you represent as Americans, what you represent as a married couple with children, and you're you're being dropped into these different settings along the way. What are your thoughts about interaction and about community and about being alongside people who live there year round? We've been talking about that a lot, both ourselves and also with our kids, um, and how to be kind of good stewards in the world and not call attention to ourselves because like as, as travelers, as tourists, um, you know, we, I, I jokingly said to somebody the other day, he asked if we were American and I said, yes, but don't hold it against us. Um, and I think Brent and I often travel with that kind of 
that mindset of, you know, the, the U.S. occupies a, a particular reputation in the world. And some of those things are earned and some of them aren't. But we would like to maybe not live up to the the worst of the cliches of American travelers and, and Americans in the world. And I think some of that is responsible stewardship. Some of that is, you know, like trying to use the language when we're in a situation where we can and trying to just like be with people um, and not, not just move through their space. Right. You know, we, when we arrived in Lisbon, we got off uh, the train. We're all a bit tired. And this was before, you know, we met up with um, Abby's family and we were walking toward where we were going to be staying. And there was a panel of graffiti on a, a building down by the river. And it was um, a mix of uh, English and Portuguese. And it said, your vacation, my eviction. And there's actually a, a great picture that I snapped of Zoe standing and looking at the the sign. Um, you can find it if you go through our our um, our chapter one smug mug page. But um, we explained it to her, you know, and like I, I mean, we 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 don't really shy away from hard conversations with our kids at home. Uh, but we had a good conversation about like what it means to be a traveler and why. Uh, why it's complicated and why, you know, we try to be thoughtful about what we're doing and how we're doing it. And even when we are as thoughtful as we possibly can be, it's not going to be perfect. You know, like, again, like it's not perfect. We're, we're taking planes, like we're leaving a carbon footprint. Uh, we are staying in lodging that will range from being, I think, incredibly responsible to probably staying in some places that are part of the problem in terms of the gentrification and kind of, you know, foreign entanglement with, you know, of tourism with local communities. And I'm sure that we are going to contribute to some of the, the ugly realities of kind of global economics as well. But it's a good opportunity for our kids to learn about that as well. Being thoughtful about it is the first step. Right. And then being and then recognizing how you're how you navigate that as you make decisions about carbon footprint, about how you travel and how you don't travel, the way that you represent yourselves. And I think the doing all of that is the is is necessary. What you're not doing is you're not whipping out the credit card and bouncing from chain hotel to chain hotel, thinking you've seen these places, right? And and you're really trying hard to see these places. And along the way, you're 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 leaving a trail of of behavior behind you that very often I always like the the idea when I I've learned over time that I I may be the only America that someone meets, right? And and we feel that with our event racing that we do, there were there were parts, especially when we were in Ecuador, there were parts of Ecuador that very clearly were off the beaten path. And I was really thoughtful about how I represented, how I acted there, because knowing that I was going to leave, I was going to move on to the next place, but I was going to leave a large residue of what I was like where those people were. And I was always very thoughtful about that. And I get you're bringing that alive there. Um, the, the, that's the, a really nice way of saying it. Yeah. yeah. The, uh, the, uh, I'm on your site now. And once again, this page is open. It's, it's, it's roaming, it's, uh, it's roamingroots.net. I believe is the website. I, I, I click off the page and there's a smug mug page there, smug mug. And clearly what, 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 what you saw there, what, what Zoe is the picture in front of is the idea is that to see with the Instagram, the, the, the unholy Trinity of social media, easy lodging like Airbnb and a desire just to, to travel so much. It's very, a lot of those more uh, attractive, beautiful places are being bought by outside 
enterprises being turned into, you know, Airbnb and Verbo vacation spots for people, right? I think that's, that's what most likely that's what you got a taste of there. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Makes me rethink when we were in the Faroe Islands and how I was able to book an Airbnb right in downtown Torshaven with no problem at all. And thinking to myself, this is, I didn't even think that that, that had, could have been someone's house at one point. Right. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Makes you think. Yeah. Yeah. And we were, we were just talking about it yesterday in terms of the the Uber and Lyft corollary here is Bolt. And the the cost of a ride for our family of seven is cheaper in a in a car than taking public transportation. Um but then you start doing like computing the hourly wage of somebody doing the driving mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it just it's a, it's an industry that is built for tourists built on the backs of people who, you know, it it just, it, it's really complicated. Yes. And how do we make decisions that kind of work for what we need and also are responsible to the people who are living in the places we're traveling and passing through? Yeah. So I think I, I was going to add, like, I think I, I would not be surprised thinking back to conversations I had with a couple of the drivers I think we had one driver out of maybe, I don't know, six, seven, eight that we kind of took with Abby's family who might've been Portuguese. The rest, I think were all immigrants, mm-hmm. right? And you know, you're doing the math and you're figuring that you're paying five-ish euro for a 20 minute ride. So any given driver, Max is bringing in 15 euro per hour, but you know, they're not making those 15 euro. That's right. going somewhere else. right? And, you know, you start having conversations with some of the, the folks driving who are from other places and you realize, right, again, that the universal, the universality of immigrant struggles, right? right. And, I, and, I, and I definitely want the, uh, the, the economists that are listening to this podcast to weigh in on it. But at one point, and, and I'll, I'll speak to, this is anecdotal and it's American in nature, right? But at one point you could, you could, you could drive a taxi in New York City, right? You could be a doorman in a hotel, you could drive a delivery truck. You could be a ticket seller in time in, in Broadway, uh, a stagehand, and you could earn enough money inside that job to afford a house and to feed your family and to send your kids to college. And so it's a mistaken idea of being like, well, you know, there's always been taxi drivers, always been cab drivers. It's the it's how the wages changed over time and how the margins have squeezed so much for people. That's the issue. It's not doing the work. Like, like, like we all know that in in Absolutely. Right. Country country they're they're it, it, it was the, I'll speak to the experience of the Irish in America, right? The Irish showed up in America and they had to take quote unquote, the worst jobs that no one else wanted. And that was the necessary stepping stone to get the foothold into the middle class. Right. And very often the, the, there was a lot of other factors that played a role there, industrialization, world, world wars that really helped move them up the, the chain. But it's not, it feels like it's not a fair fight nowadays that when immigrants take those jobs now, there's no necessarily path to, the social mobility that exists and you're, and you're seeing that up close, right? That's, that's what you're, and that's what you're navigating as you do this travel up there, up there. And you're only, it's only week, week two, right? Are you week two of the trip? Yeah. Yeah. And two. we're yeah. still in Europe. And you're yeah. still in Europe. So how's yeah. it going with the, the decisions that you make in regards to the food and the cuisine? Are you, are you eating as, as local as you want? Do you throw the talent in? Do you just say, do you, do you say, oh, good Lord, like we'd kill for a, a hamburger. Like what's, what's been the balance? Cause there's going to be a balance, right? And so, How's that working out the way you're the, the food choices you're making? Yeah, we, 
you know, again, difference between the first week and the second week, but we've done a lot of eating out of grocery stores, a lot of stopping in a bakery for something in the morning and then lunch, you know, carrots and, and bread and cheese. Um, and then in the evenings, we've done more, um, when it was just us, we did like kebab and shawarma and kind of quick foods that were economical and easy and open at six o'clock. Um, because here, you know, most sit down restaurants don't even open until seven. Um, and it's, it's been cool. The kids have started, you know, Simon is pretty adventurous and will try, try whatever. Um, Zoe slightly less so, but she has started trying things that I never would have expected her to take to so readily. Um, she's like, both of them have become or shown their stripes as huge carnivores. Um, so like Zoe got a, a donor box, which was shaved beef and fries. Um, dramatically different from something you might get at home, but it's, you know, it's at a, it's at a, 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 sh a shawarma shop with a um, Afghani owner mm -hmm. and, you know, with seasoned accordingly, et cetera. And she, she really enjoyed it. So I, I wouldn't say that we're necessarily eating local in terms of eating at restaurants and eating big Portuguese meals mm -hmm. or Spanish meals now, but um, certainly eating foods that are different from what we eat at home, or at least what the kids are eating. It sounds like it's, it's all agreeing with the children, right? The change, the change yeah. for their stomachs and for their bodies. Very nice. No issues so far. Okay. And you know how this goes. You're asking us now and tomorrow we'll all be in bed. Right, right. It's going to eventually, yeah. it's, it's going to, someone's going to get sick sometime. The odds are against you. It'll happen. Right. It'll happen. I think there's a decent chance, knock on wood, that it, you know, waits till we end up down in Morocco or somewhere else. But yeah. And there's also been plenty of gelato and pastries and right. those kinds of things. Too. As there should be. Because um, also with the family too, the vacation aspect's a bit more real now, right? The unit there. Um, we're recording this and it's December 9th, 2023. We're recording this. We're right in the height of the holiday season. It's now the second night of Hanukkah, I believe. Tonight. It might be the third night. I, I take that back if I have my Hanukkah count. The, the third night. Third, maybe even fourth. Third yeah. night. Third yeah. night. Yeah. Yeah. Thursday, yeah. Friday, Saturday, third night of Hanukkah. Christmas is right around the corner. Are you seeing cultural celebrations in the various towns? Are there are lights up? Are people acting a bit more holiday-like? Definitely. I mean, there's been a lot uh, up in Portugal for Christmas. And, you know, we just got into Sevilla uh, a few hours ago. Um, uh, but likewise, lots of big light displays and, you know, giant Christmas trees set up in the squares. We've not seen much of anything for Hanukkah. Um, I, I, I think we might find something here in Sevilla. I think Sevilla has a pretty rich history, um, with the Jewish community. So, um, I think we'll probably try to look for something here. Um, I spent some time poking around online for Lisbon and, and didn't come across much, but, um, so yeah, we definitely plenty of holiday spirit going around. Lots of Christmas markets, lots of, uh, lots of sweets and mm -hmm. yeah. One of the best uh, the best dynamics inside of uh, any urban experiences around the holidays, right? It's mm. the, everything just gets to, to tinged a little bit nicer, right? It's a it's a I'll be in New York City on uh, on Monday night at a Broadway Inspirational Voices as a as a charity that my wife and I like to support along the way, and we're going to the, they're having a gospel Christmas on Monday night, and it's just it's the city just <laughs> is twenty five percent happier. Right. Everything is just is you get that yeah. vibe a lot more. Um, shout out, yeah. by the way, to Shane McGowan from the Pogues Fairytale of Old New York. I don't know how I don't know how big Pogue fans you are, the two of you. But Shane was buried uh, yesterday in Ireland and it was uh, his his best mm. Christmas song ever. Fairytale of old New York. Um, mm. 
So Sevilla right now, uh, how long you said you just arrived there? What's the plan for how what's what's the what's the next adventure? Where are we going now? Yeah, I think we're here for five dates. Okay. Um, and we had planned the Lisbon part of the trip. My mom planned the the scheduled activities for Sevilla, and then we're moving on to Granada to end the time with my family. And my dad had planned that part. Um, so we have a lot of afternoon and evening plans that my parents had booked. And then the days are a little bit quieter. Um, we're celebrating both of my parents' birthdays in the next week. So there'll be some some good cheer around that. We're taking my dad on a bike tour tomorrow to celebrate his birthday. Um, but after a week of planning and coordinating, um, I think we'll we'll leave it to my to my parents to do a little bit more of that for the upcoming week. Yeah, it's good just to give the reins over a little bit. Yeah, no, it, it isn't. We are going to go orienteering. Uh, we had hoped to sneak it in before we talked to you this evening. So we'd come to this meeting all hot and sweaty mm-hmm. from racing around Sevilla like crazy people. But uh, we got the time change wrong. <laughs> we got the time change wrong. So that'll probably happen in the next couple of days. Yeah. We, uh, I want to give a shout out to our adventure racing peeps that are out there. I'm going to, so there's someone who I'm going to mention right now. And I've heard his name pronounced in two different ways when I've been around people. I've heard Jose and Jose. Only two. Only, yeah, only two ways. Only two ways. So, so Jose is how he introduces himself. Yeah. Jose, Jose, I'm going to say Perez. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I believe I think so. so. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so and I think are... maybe that might be like a, a difference between Portuguese and Spanish. In Spanish, it, I've never heard it pronounced in any other way except for Jose. Right. But we met another Jose in Portugal uh, last week who also said it was Jose. So I, maybe that is a difference between Portuguese and Spanish. How is it getting it? Well, first of all, those of you who don't know the adventure racing world, Jose is a, is, is legendary, legendary. Well, if you look at any given race, you'll look up and he'll be at a, he'll be driving a truck and he'll be working with people. And he's the, he's the best, the best. And you had a chance to connect with him. How did that, that time with him go? It was fantastic. I mean, yeah, I've, I've been to, I mean, I don't know how many races I've been at, where jose has been working but at least a handful and i've never had a personal um interaction with him really outside of like a, a, a nice hi thank you type interaction he's not someone i have personally connected with on like because you're uh, at the front of the issues like <laughs> that's uh, that's a not true and b uh not in the international races where jose shows up that is not how it goes for us at those kinds I've of races a lot in the races so yeah. that might say something he's like so nice, yeah, so, so generous, so nice. but like but, attentive to what you need, not really sharing of himself. Good point. good point, right? He's he's all he's, he's yeah. racer focused. Good point. Yeah, yeah, and I think like to be fair, like I mean, he he is incredible for people for AR racers. Like Jose spends like literally nine to ten months of the year traveling internationally just to help people yeah. out of the goodness of his own heart, and I think mostly out of his own. He pocket. said on his own diet, you know, like this guy is unbelievable in how much he gives of himself for those of us that are racing. And he's Portuguese um, or he's Spanish? He's Portuguese? He's Portuguese. Portuguese. So, yeah. so, he's, so he's, um, the, he's the Portuguese Jim Roundsley. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah but on a, scale, like, on a global scale. On a global scale, right. He right. travels to ARWS races right. all over the world. I just, want to say Jim, I just want to say Jim's name on the podcast. That's all. Yeah. 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 No, and I mean, he is absolutely, I mean, he goes regularly outside of Europe, but like, you know, name a race in Europe and he's there. So right. I think a lot of the European teams, like they, they really do know him well. Um, you know, akin to like people that have been racing in the United States for a long time, like everybody knows Randy, 
right? Right. Yeah. Uh, That's just a, that's a given. Um, So it was really nice to actually talk to him and get to know him um, personally. And, you know, he was an incredibly gracious host and drove us out to his hometown about an hour outside of downtown Lisbon and took us to an amazing dinner. I mean, a really, truly amazing uh, and truly Portuguese dinner. Um, And it was just great to get to know him and his partner and his history, both in the sport and his personal and professional history. He's an amazing person. It literally like we met him at this at this Christmas market and fair in the middle of Lisbon. And from the second we saw him and gave him big, big hugs, he started telling us his stories. And it was just like opening up this world to this person we've met so many times, but but had no idea kind of who he was behind the logistics planner. Behind the buff. Um, buff. He's famous for the buff that he wears on his head. And yeah. And, And we did give him an endless mountains buff. Fair enough. Um, Excellent. He, um, but uh, it, it was really special to be welcomed right. to Lisbon in that way. He 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 bailed our cookies out in Faroe Island in a big way. We didn't know what was going on, and we got these these kind of poorly written instructions. It was written by a non English speaker on what to go to where to go, and we we couldn't figure out what they were telling us to do. And he drove. He mm-hmm. literally just drove behind a truck and got out the big map and give us directions. And without him, we'd still be in the Faroe Islands. So so yeah. so, so so Josie, you're out there. The the, the world loves you. Yeah. Um, we're getting yeah. close to the end of our time together. We have various commitments. Yeah. So we always want to finish up with, with, with five questions, five questions, right? We want to use these same questions every time. And, um, so the first question I always like to bring up here, they're actually, you've made the board next to the computer, by the way, very few things are here and the questions are up on the board. What's the one thing you've done right so far? You were supposed to prepare this, weren't we? And we didn't, um, you probably should email us these questions so we can review them every couple of weeks when we do this. Um, the one thing we've done right this far, I'm going to, this is cheap, but we've, we've just, we've gone for it. Like, honestly, like the fact that we're doing this is one week down again, we're going to bite our tongue at some point on this and feel like, what the, f- what, what were we doing? What were we thinking? But um, the first week was really amazing to see our kids kind of evolving before our eyes. And I think, uh, I think we did that right. Just gotcha. kind of diving, diving in the deep end. The start, the start is the right thing yeah. so far. So what's the one thing that you'd, you'd redo? What's the thing, if you had a chance now to look back and say, you know something, we probably would have done that differently. What would you say? You know, there, there, <laughs> you know, should we have taken the the actual trail instead of the 50 meter through cut and not gone down the gorge? Maybe in terms of safety. Um, but actually it made for a really good story. So I'm, you know, I think I'll, I'll keep that one on the list. Um, I don't, so far, I don't have a, I wish we had done this differently. Uh, yeah, no, I think if there's one thing, maybe it's that, like, I think we have, and Abby just wrote about this and hinted at it, I think in a blog post that she published this afternoon. I think we've done a really nice job overall with Zoe and her homeschooling. And I think for various reasons, Simon is maybe taking a little bit of a backseat. And I think that's partly the fact that the state of Pennsylvania tells us he doesn't even have to be in school. So we're like, ah, we don't have to worry about it. Um, I think it's partly that there aren't like major huge benchmarks that we have to necessarily meet with him this year. Um, But I kind of feel like we need to be doing better with him. And we're starting to. But, yeah, I th- yeah, I, yeah. Think, I think, you know, there's so much more a child of Zoe's age can do, can physically do, as opposed to a child of Simon's age, you know, you know, 
practice letter sound arrangements, tell them you love them and try to put letters in front as much as you can, right? There's not a whole lot you could do at that age yeah. along the way. And then that's, that's, a, that's not un, uncommon. What's the most impressive thing you've seen or done since our last talk? Well, Shift's villages in Losho were, were really special. Um, and just imagining what it looked like at its various iterations in history, right? The, the different kind of times that it was inhabited, that all of those spaces were inhabited. Um, was it was it was just spectacular. Yeah, I think we covered seven to eight miles that day. And I mean, Brian, you've used all trails thousands of times. Mm -hmm. You know, if every time you just opened up the all trails map and said, I'm going to start here and end here and link these four trails together. If you could put together a hike like this every day of your life, right? You'd stop working and do nothing right. but hike. I mean, yeah. it was just the absolute most amazing day hike. One you, of the best I've ever done. You look around, you're like, how do I get to do this all the time? Right. You just say to yourself yeah. like this, is it. I don't want to pop quiz you. How old was that city? How long has it been inhabited? Oh, oh the, I think it's just villages. I mean, they're, I, I feel like I remember reading that there's, there's, um, evidence of them going back to like, I want to say iron age. Like they're, like they're old, right? Like old. It, yeah, yeah. people have been living there for a long time. I don't know. I was thinking there, the old, I, see much interpret yeah, yeah. In my, in my head, the yeah. Neolithic kind of popped into my head. Yeah. 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 I actually, yes. I think Neolithic, um, actually that I think brings a bell. There was not much interpretation as we saw it. I mean, we really only had one day. Um, it's a huge region. There might be um, a better developed museum or something about their history somewhere that we didn't see. Um, you know, but uh, yeah, people have been living there for, I think, hundreds and maybe thousands of years. Yeah. Abby, same for you. Impressive things seen or done since the last time we spoke? Yeah, that hands down. What perception yeah. of yours? Go ahead, go ahead, go for it. I was gonna say one more small plug, which I, I, if we hadn't been there literally less than a year ago, I, I might've included it. We took a day trip out from Lisbon to an, a really wonderful place called Sintra. Um, that's just this over the top uh, town full of like old royal palaces and like over the top, over the top again, royal palaces. And those are spectacular. There's a, an amazing old Moorish castle on top of the hill, which is spectacular, but my highlight from there is outside of town, there's a place that very few of the tours end up. It's an old, um, uh, it's an old monastery. Like, and, and we're not talking like the big grandiose Catholic monasteries. We're talking more like a scene out of Hobbiton from the mm -hmm. Lord of the Rings. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's this amazing site built into this very kind of rocky, bouldery mountainside. Um, and the thing that's pretty special about it, other than its natural setting, is the entire interior of the monastery is lined with court. Um, which was used to help kind of mute the sounds of the already silent monks. Um, Apparently, Portugal produces 80% of the world's pork. Yeah. Um, and and it's, yeah. And, so but it was neat to learn that history. It, but we had been there in January. We were there in January. And, um, you know, so if it hadn't been that we had already been there, I, I probably would have included that because it's, it's just a, a really kind of spiritually amazing place. And I'm not someone that's spiritual, but... Uh, there's something really kind of special about it. What perception has changed? Where where are you seeing things differently than before? I think what we talked about in terms of seeing our kids um, and start to form a relationship that's independent of us. Like, whereas 
two weeks ago, Simon would only have wanted to sit next to probably me in a restaurant. Now he only wants to sit next to Zoe right. and play with her. And, and she's kind of equally buying into that. Uh, and that's, that's been pretty special. Um, and I, I hope it only continues to grow. Probably, you know, there'll, yeah. be, pro- there'll be progression or regression, right? Any relationship. Yeah. Like you, you grow, you retract, you grow, you retract, but you, but you grow further than you retract. So over time it evolves and gets better. Right. Yeah. And I, I would add also for Zoe in particular, um, I think I, I think I said to you last time, one of my biggest kind of concerns and fears was the homeschooling piece. Mm-hmm. And um, I, uh, I have been really surprised at how easily she's taken to it. You know, she's definitely had a couple moments with me where I've had to stop and ask her if she would, uh, you know, whine about things like that to her teacher. Um, but she's really like, she's, I think, embraced pretty much everything I've thrown at her. And I think I've thrown maybe a little bit more at her than she was expecting. Um, but she's taking on some of those things totally on her own and like creating time to do some projects that I, you know, tell her she can take three days to complete and she does it in an afternoon and is really kind of putting good effort into it and seems really engaged with all of it. So that's been really awesome to see that. Yeah, she has made comments of, you know, but for missing her friends, but for the social aspects of school, she wishes that every learning opportunity could be walking down a beach talking about what, you know, why waves are bigger or smaller or, you know, how you get from from Lisbon to New Hampshire. Right. I am. I'm I'm curious. Yeah. Learn how parent teacher conferences go. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) A little homeschooling joke for those of you playing at home. Um, And uh, we're going to. We're going to wrap this up as we go through here. Are there any questions that I didn't ask? Are there things that you say, yeah, I really want to talk about this when I talk to Brian that I didn't I didn't poke at? I don't think so. I think we are probably collectively not at our best at 10 o'clock at night on just kind of in our regular course of life. Mm-hmm. So that will be a, a good challenge for us because I think pretty much every time we talk, it'll be late into the evening, our time. So um, we will work on being more and more insightful as we go. Um, well, yeah, and, and there's only and there's only so much capacity and time and space to actually be that. Oh my God, did we totally freeze near the end? Don't tell me we froze. It was so good. You moved so close to the router. Okay. There you go. You're back. There you go. We did so well there, right near the very end. <laughs> and that's it, folks. Thanks for joining us for episode two, a rather inglorious end due to Wi-Fi problems at the very, very finish. But we got it in. Great episode. Hope you enjoyed it. Brent and Abby, Zoe and Simon having a great time. We're talking to them in a few more days. We'll get caught up again and tell you all about it. Along the way, feel free to go back and check out Roaming Roots episode one for all the details that have happened. We're glad you're here for number two. Have a good time out there. Be safe and have some adventures.